0: Second Samuel chapter number 9 is where we'll take our text this morning. They, uh, they just sang that song and that phrase, let the hallelujahs roll. It reminded me of a song that they sang this week. Um, I think it was called Hallelujah to the Lamb. Somewhere in the middle of that song, one of the first times they sang it, it I reminded of a study I did years ago about that word hallelujah. You, you, in modern times, you normally, especially in our circles, you, you hear the word hallelujah. Uh, but in scripture, you'll not only find that, but also the word hallelujah. Revelation, uh, around the throne, the saints of God are saying hallelujah, okay? But the word hallelujah is, it is a call to worship. It is one person, person standing up and in, in a congregation saying, Praise the Lord with me. It is a call to worship, Brother Jody. I need help praising the Lord. So, hallelujah, and then we all say that together. But one of these days, after it's all said and done, and all of the saints of God and all of the angels are around about the throne, and uh, the devil is one of these days cast into the lake of fire, We'll never have to worry about sin and never have to worry about saying goodbye or any of those things again. All of those saints are going to say hallelujah. And I just thought one of these days when they say hallelujah, why wouldn't they say hallelujah? It's because everybody is in one mind and in one accord. When it comes upon one person to praise God, it's on already upon them all to give Him the glory. So there's no need for that other word. Y'all praise the Lord with me because they're all praising God at the same time. It's, it's a blessing if you get in there and you, you figure some of those things out and then the Lord just says, Hey, won't you just go ahead and say whoopee and hot dog and let everybody enjoy it. Amen. Uh, it's Father's Day today and uh, we're not going to be preaching about fathers. And so if you came looking for a Father's Day message, I, I do not apologize, but I feel sorry for you. Uh, but we're gonna give you the testimony of Mephibosheth. We're gonna give you part one of the testimony of Mephibosheth. Lord put this in my heart this week and, and I've got in my Bible underlined all throughout this chapter. Not a very long chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read it all. It's only 13 verses. But, uh, today may have a, a little bit of academic in it, um, and so we may teach you some things, but I want to try to give you the testimony of Mephibosheth today. if you 'll start reading with me in verse number one, we'll read those first few verses, second Samuel chapter nine verse one, and David said, "Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan 's sake or show him?" And verse number two, and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. You can call him Ziba if you want to. Not going to bother me. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to uh, kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on His feet. Let's pray today. God in heaven, we praise your holy name for being so good to us. God, we give you the glory, and God, we pray today that you'd help your word to be preached. God, you know what's in my heart, and God, you know the end of this message that you put in me. I pray that you'd help me now this morning, just to be able to give your people what we stand in need of today. I pray you'll cheer our hearts. God, I pray that you would encourage us to tell someone about you and what you've done for us today. We give you the glory and the honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll give you this this message title again here in just a moment. Uh but according to these first 3 verses, you're not really going to get the um, the context of what we're preaching about uh until about halfway through this thing. But I want you to know today just based on that title that every single born again person, whether it's a young boy, or young girl, whether it's a middle-aged person or an older person, if you're you're born again by the blood of Christ. You have got a testimony or a story to tell. And don't let anybody tell you that you don't from the day that you were saved, matter of fact, the day you were born, I'm sorry, matter of fact, the day you were conceived, no, 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 Jeremiah said way on before that, God had His pen out right in your story. Amen? And so, every person that's been saved or born again has got a story and uh, some of those, they they go a lot deeper and maybe even darker than others. Other people, as they give their testimony or they tell their story uh, it goes all the way back to the innocence of childhood and it declares the faith of a child. Uh, but uh, as we look at our text, we see uh, this. We don't even know his name yet, uh, but we see that David is here and a servant of Saul named Ziba is here. We know that Jonathan is mentioned, but but uh, not by name, but by condition. We find that there is a a son mentioned. And And Ziba said that Jonathan hath yet a son. He doesn't tell us his name. He doesn't tell us anything about him other than his faults. And he says he is lame on his feet. And so, as we look at this, and we'll take this morning, and we'll finish the message tonight, uh, if I can borrow your imagination for about 21 minutes, I want to preach on the thought, the testimony of Mephibosheth. Now, if if I were to tell you my testimony, I'd go back. You've all heard it. Most of you have heard it. I'd take you back to when I was about 8 or 9, uh, when we moved to Hollister. And I'd, I'd take you through some of the years as I began to go to church and and I I thought I was saved and this, that, and the other. And so what I would do, Ms. Denisha, is I would give you the history of myself. And I believe if we could find a place to to put Mephibosheth here today, I believe the first thing that he would give us is his history. I believe that he would say, you know, I'm royalty. He said, "Uh, I am the son of Jonathan and the grandson of Saul. Benji, he would begin to tell us his history. If we were to look in our books, we would find that that uh, the the name Saul it means ask for or demanded. He was demanded to be king, and as such, he kind of fell in track uh, with that name. He demanded things from from Samuel. He demanded things from God. Uh, But then he had a son whose name was Jonathan, and the name Jonathan means not demanded, but the Lord gave. Now, isn't it amazing today how the generation upon generation can have uh, different na- things that they are known for? How uh, The generation of Saul was known for his demanding spirit. Uh, but as you read the story of David and Jonathan, you find that he was a blessing uh, that was given to David as a friend that would stick by him. Even, I believe, Jonathan would have stood beside David as David being the king, even though it belonged to Jonathan. I really believe that. If it worked out that David became king, Jonathan was given as a friend to David to be that friend even though he wasn't named the king. So we see that uh, Mephibosheth has given us his history and he says, you know, I, I I, am royalty. My granddaddy was the first king of Israel and the first king of Judah. And he was a mighty man. He stood head and shoulders above the other men. And he began to think about his own daddy. And, and on Father's Day, that would be a good time to think about, about our daddies. Whether it's good or bad, it would be a good time to think about our daddies. And I believe Phibosheth began to think about his daddy and began to think about those few years, and we'll get into that in a moment, but began to think about those few years that he had with his daddy uh, there in the palace. And and he was only five years old uh, that we'll find over there in chapter number four. Uh, But I believe he began to talk about Jonathan as any young boy would. I got a picture on my phone, Brother Stanley. Uh, you probably saw Camden on the front pew on Friday night, dead asleep. I mean, he was out, and he—I mean, he had a, I mean, he was all distorted. He was gone. There wasn't no waking him up. There were people shouting. There were people standing up, just rejoicing. There was preachers shouting in his ear. He was gone. But before that, before that, I believe it was Thursday, he was sitting beside his daddy, and he didn't want anything. He was just patting his daddy's uh, 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 knee, and he began to look up at him. And I could only imagine what he must have been thinking. And I can't get into it this morning just because I don't have the time, nor do I have the energy. But I just wonder if Camden might remember those days when his daddy was drunk, or his daddy was out in drugs, I wonder if he, if he remembers what the newspaper posted about his daddy. I, I wonder if he remembered that. It, and if you have a mustache this morning, I'm not apologizing, but I believe I'd shave that thing off. Do you have a mustache towel? No, you don't have a mustache. You reached up like this. I said, Oh my God. I have done messed up. <clears throat> if that's all you got this morning, that's all you got this morning. I, I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable, but, but, uh, <laughs> I, I don't really know why. Maybe I, I don't, anyway, the newspaper posted a picture of Curtin. He had this g- just nasty mustache, hair, just a mess, dirty, not, not the best, not the most appealing picture at all. And I just wonder if maybe Camden might remember his daddy that way. And then looking at him there on the front pew of the sawdust shaven tabernacle and seeing him clean shaven, dressed in a nice polo and slacks, just got done preaching. He can't sing. He can't can't sing. Somebody help him. He can't sing. But he was giving it all he got. And I just wonder if maybe Camden was thinking, that's my daddy. And I can imagine if if Mephibosheth was up here talking about his daddy. He only knew five years. But he said, you know, the Lord gave him. The Lord gave him. The Lord gave him some friends. He gave him a family that fought and, and that was strong during their time. I can imagine as he kind of went on past his 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 daddy and past his granddaddy. And I I maybe see a little glimmer of sadness because over in 1 Samuel chapter number 31 verse number 2, the Bible says that the Philistines killed uh, Saul and Jonathan and Saul's other sons. All of the males except for one were killed in the battle there with the Philistines. I can imagine maybe... As he thought about his uncle, the, the only uncle that he had left, his name was, uh, Ishbosheth. And I, I believe he probably, if you, you can look back in chapter four again, and you could, you could imagine maybe how sadness as an adult, Mephibosheth is an adult here, he's got a son according to the text. And Nick, I believe that he probably began to think about his uncle and how that his uncle became king for a little while himself of Israel and how that he himself was in hiding, but then I wonder if he remembers the day that that everybody else died, but now his only living relative has now died. Someone came in and, and stabbed him under his fifth rib, and he died in the place where he was relaxing. Hadn't done anything wrong. He was just put in the office of a king. He began to think about this. In his testimony, he begins to think maybe about his own name. He says, "You know, my granddaddy, he was a demanding man, but my daddy, he was—he was a man that God just—he just gave him to us." Then I think about my own name. He said, "The name of Phibosheth, it means a destroyer of shame. That's a pretty valiant name." This is a man that—that that ought to be, you know, maybe wearing a, a, some armor and has a big sword and a big shield and. And he said, my name means destroyer of shame. I'm going to come in there and if there's there's wickedness or if there's idolatry, I'm going to banish it. He said, my name means a destroyer of shame. I'm going to bring hope. I'm going to bring gladness back to a land. He's talking about his history. He said, that's what my name means. But I've never been able to live up to it. So we go to point number two. We just saw his history. This is why he never lived up to it, because he had a handicap. He had a handicap. If you were to turn over to chapter number 4, you'll find that uh, there the news came of Jonathan's death to his nurse and this nurse picked up this baby boy, and I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a little bit of of context here of why she began to run there in chapter number 4 it's because it was customary that if one king died, the next in line would attempt to kill all of the lineage of the previous king, and so as it happened here was this young boy he was healthy when he was 3 and he was healthy when he was 4 he thought he was going to live up to his name I could imagine as he, and maybe some other boys of the palace might have made sticks and might have made uh, shields or swords and shields out of sticks and and palm fronds and and they began to fight and everything as a five year old boy though uh, she picked him up the nursemaid picked him up and somehow or another either she fell she dropped the boy or maybe she was hauling him and he tripped and fell and somehow or another the Bible says in verse number uh, four I believe it was that he fell and became lame. He says, my name means a destroyer of shame. Uh, I've never quite been able to live up to it because of my handicap. We're talking about, talking about the testimony of Mephibosheth. The word lame in your King James Bible, it means to be smitten. I told Lori on the way home yesterday, I said, in my mind, I know that wheelchairs were not invented back then, Allie. But in my mind, I always take those uh, um, ancient people and I kind of put them with modern day things. You know, so here's Mephibosheth, you know, 4,000 years ago, whatever it is, and, and he's rolling around in a wheelchair. Well, that didn't happen. So I began to wonder, well, how lame was he? How lame was he? So I've read, I don't know how many men, probably 20 different men about this particular subject. And Nick? Not one of them told me how lame he was. Such a disappointment. Some said that, well, it could be that, you know, he he kind of like Jacob. You remember God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and he halted upon it all the days of his life. So he was crippled. But every time he remembered that he said, I'm not crippled, I'm blessed. But here was here was Mephibosheth, it says he was lame. Never anything to out, never anything about a blessing. So one man said that it could be maybe his hip was out of joint from the fall and never got set. Somebody else said maybe he broke an ankle or broken an, a leg or twisted a knee and it never because of the hurried and because of the, the turmoil of the day, it never was a, a, a made right and so maybe it was just one leg. But according to verse number 13 of our text, the Bible says that he was lame on both his feet. So whether he was completely crippled or or maybe Benji, he was just, uh, maybe he just had a a limp when he walked, I don't know. But either he could walk and everybody saw how crippled he was as as he hopped and as he hobbled along, or maybe he just had to sit until someone else came by to pick him up. I want to, I, in my soul, Brother John, I feel like he was lame and could not do anything. in, In my soul, I feel like, he was sitting there and maybe he could get down in an army crawl when he needed to get somewhere. A matter of fact, if you look a little bit further back, maybe chapter 14, 15, 16, somewhere around there, uh, he um, uh, Ziba tried to, to uh, uh, um, uh, turn on Mephibosheth. And David came to Mephibosheth to check it out. And he said something like this, Brother David. He said, I'm sorry, King David. I couldn't be where you were. My servant did not bring me uh, an ass or the donkey. So I, I really believe he couldn't do anything himself. But when I think about that, and I can't give you all the end of this thing. When I think about that, I can't help but to think about us. That we were helpless. We couldn't do anything. And so that's my heart, Brother John, is that Mephibosheth is talking about his handicap. He just said, man, I should be out there fighting the best fights and tearing down this and tearing down that, bringing glory and honor and respect to God, but I've never been able to live up to it because of my handicap." He begins to tell not only about this handicap and 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 not only about that little bit story uh, but he according to verse 13 as I mentioned there in our text in chapter number 9 he was lame on both of his feet and so as such he was doubly unfit as a king he according to the law in antiquity he could not become a king because he was crippled Because the king was expected to go out and fight. And he couldn't do that. So, in as far as the lineage of Saul, he was allowed to live because he was no threat. Nobody even worried about him. He couldn't do anything even if he wanted to. You'd surely, if he wanted to stick you in your fifth rib, you'd know he was coming because he'd pull himself along. He'd have to have somebody come with him and their in him in their arms and br- you would he's no threat just just leave him alone he was no concern so this brings us as we look chapter, uh, chapter number three uh, he Jonathan or chapter number nine verse number three Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet the king said where is he Ziba said well he's in the house of Makir the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now this is probably about as far as I'm going to go today, but I've wondered. I've always I've always kind of bypassed Makir and uh Amiel, and I've went straight to Lodabar. Well he's in he's in Lodabar. And I know what Lodabar means. I'll tell you that in a moment. But before we ever get to Lodabar, we've got to figure out what in the world is Makir, who he is. Well, as I begin to look, the word Makir is, is his name means sold. Or salesman. I'm like, well, that helps me not a bit. But if we were to turn over to chapter number seventeen, verse number twenty-seven, David now is the king of Judah. He is now king of Israel. So he's the top dog. Verse twenty seven of chapter number seventeen, second Samuel. And it came to pass when David was come to Mahanam, that Shobai the son of Nahash of uh, Rabbah of the children of Ammon, and Makir the son of Amiel of Lodabar, and Barzillai the Gileadite of Rogelum, brought beds, basins, vessels, wheat, barley, flour, corn, beans, lentils, pulse, honey, butter, sheep, cheese for David and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So one writer said that because of that, here was a man, regardless of his name, regardless of his occupation, that simply showed kindness. But because of his name, I believe it's proper that we could today make the assumption, and I know it's dangerous to do so, uh, but I believe that we can make the assumption uh, that he was a profiteer, and because of that, whoever was king, he was on their side. So, before, Saul was the king, right? Saul was the king, and as such... He had a relationship with Saul. Now, we've kind of transitioned back now a little bit earlier than chapter 17. Matter of fact, before chapter number 9. Saul was the king of Israel and of Judah. He was the king of all of the country. Makir was a salesman, whether it be of weapons, or if supplies, no matter what he needed, he could get it. When the king needed something, he was on his side. So we we look at at that thought. When the king needed something, he was on his side. What happened in chapter thirty one of First Samuel? The Bible says that Saul and his sons were killed, except for Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth, he himself hid for a while. Then he was risen up, he was raised up to become king of Israel, not Judah, but of Israel. As he became king of Israel, the, the nation split and Judah needed a king, so they put in David as the king. So, Lodabar was 50 miles north of Jerusalem in Israel. Lodabar is where Makir was. Lodabar in the kingdom of Israel, not Judah, still, because now Saul's son Ishbosheth was king of Israel, he was still serving the king. There was no need for him to make any changes. Why is all this important? The Bible says that, that Mephibosheth Was in the house of Makir. So you have to know who Makir is. He was, he was a profiteer. He was supplying the king, thus the kingdom, with weapons, with supplies. So who was Amiel? Amiel was a devoted ally. He was a devoted ally. What does that mean? Whoever was the king, again, he was on their side. So we don't know about uh, much about um, Amiel, but we know that these men were in the business of war. And because Saul was the king, and because his son Ishbosheth was made king of Israel, and because Lodabar was in Israel, then their allegiance to the king of Israel never really changed. Why does that mean anything? Because he was of the house of Makir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Why did Mephibosheth end up in Lodabar? Because he was hiding? Talking about the testimony of Mephibosheth. Why did he end up there? Because he was hiding? How could he hide in wide open spaces? He had to have an ally. And he found an ally in Amiel and in Makir. He said, "Listen, I am the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. I need a place to hide." As he began to hide, he hid in a place called Lodabar. Now, listen, I'm almost done. In Lodabar, there was no no pasture. Lo means no, debar is pasture, so it's a land of no pasture. This was a barren piece of land on the south. East side of the Sea of Galilee, near the River Jordan. There was, there was nothing. He was near the River of Jordan, but there was no pastures. There, there was no pleasure there. There was no flocks. There were no fields. There was nothing. Not only that, but there was no peace. At this point in the story, in chapter number 9, we have to assume that as an adult... We have to assume that even when he was a young boy, when Ishbosheth was killed, we have to assume that now Mephibosheth he understands. He understands that uh, uh, Makir and Amiel were on his grandfather's side. They were on his father's side. They were on his uncle Ishbosheth's side. So thereby, they were on uh, Mephibosheth's side. But now word has come to him in the course of time that everybody that he trusts is dead. Everybody in his family is dead. He is all alone. The question had to come into his mind, would I lose my home? Now that David is is king of not now in the story. You have to read all of this. Now David is not just king of Judah, but he's also king of Israel. Now, Makir and Amiel's allegiance would have to change. Now, they were not serving the house of Saul. Now, they were serving David. Would I lose my home? Would I maybe even lose my life? Mephibosheth is testifying and saying, I'm scared. I knew that the king was coming. Now, I can remember my own story. I could remember my history. I can remember all of the heritage that was neither goodly nor godly in my life. Before my family got into church and got saved, I don't know of any of them that went to church. My grandmother went to church every once in a while. But there was no proof of salvation or anything. I had nothing that I could claim. So, Brother Jody, my heritage was neither goodly nor was it godly. The the last name Burke, as Mephibosheth said, this is what my name means. The last name Burke, it means a fortified settlement. It means that, hey, we're strong. We come from across the seas. We're strong. We're, we're self-sufficient. This is who I am. But unfortunately, the name Burke was marred in England. And it became synonymous with the word murderer. In all my life, that story is carried down over the generations. Generations, it says, well, we're just nobodies. <laughs> we're just nobodies. We're good for nothing. See, I can remember my history. But not only that, I remember my handicap. I remember that, that, that self-loathing. I can remember hearing stories about my grandfather. His name was James Earl Burke. And hallelujah, they didn't name me Earl. But they did name me James, but my mama despised the name, and so she called me Jamie. Brother Rufus Edmonston came to my church, and he's sitting on the front pew, and he said, Boy, what's your name? And I said, Jamie? It was a little boy. He said, I'm going to call you James from now on. It sounds more manly. I said, Yes, sir. And from then on, I've been trying to tell everybody my name is James, but they won't listen. So I, I understand my own hand. I can remember my handicap. I remember how shy and how awkward I was. I remember what a sinner I was. I remember how how my life was ruined and how my own body was ruined. I remember those. I remember even to this day how that oftentimes I feel so unworthy. But when I before I was saved, I felt absolutely unworthy. I remember the place that I dwelled, my my house, if you will, that was that third point of my house. I remember that, that it wasn't flattering to look at. It wasn't anything that you would write and you would say that this is just a mansion down here in Florida. I, I would never have said that. But not only that place that I dwelled there in East Palatka and then moved to Hollister, Florida. I, would, I wouldn't say that it was anything to brag about. But even spiritually, I don't know that I would I would say that I could brag. Spiritually, I was dark. I was lonely. I was barren. See, I would tried religion. I tried to make a profession. I repeated after someone. And this someone told me that I was saved. But deep down inside, there was something missing. I I was lost. I was, I was empty inside. I had tried pleasure. I had tried hiding away just as Mephibosheth did. But praise be to God this morning uh, that this is not the end of Mephibosheth's story, nor was it the end of my story. And this morning I want you to know you may find yourself of good or of bad reputation. You may find yourself handicapped beyond measure. You may find yourself in a place where your house or your habitation is wicked or it's vile. It's good for nothing. but I want you to understand with the Spirit of God pressing upon your soul and calling you to salvation or calling you to remembrance, I'm glad this morning our story doesn't have to end there. I'm glad this morning that my story continues. Not only does my story continue and it continues to do so, but the story of Mephibosheth you see, we've invited Mephibosheth in today to, to give his own testimony. He told about his heritage or his history. He told about his handicap, how bad he was. He told about his house. He told about all of the barrenness there in Lodabar. But Tonight, tonight he's going to tell you about some other things. So I know it's Father's Day, and this is not a Father's Day message. But I want to invite you back tonight to hear, if I could say it, the rest of the story tonight. I want us to come with a song of invitation this evening. My 25-minute plan turned into 30 minutes, but praise God it's not an hour. I want us to stand. I want us to sing a song this morning, whatever you have, Brother David. Maybe you're sitting there this morning. If I've held your attention and I hope that I have... Maybe that, maybe you've begun to think about all of your frailties, all of your shortcomings, if you will. Maybe you can begin to think about your history. And you're wondering, what's next for Mephibosheth? Well, I want you here tonight, but you can read it too. You could find out. Just keep reading chapter number nine of 2 Samuel, and you'll find out what God did for him. And the same that God did for him He can do for you. You may not want to be back tonight. Maybe you can't even be back tonight. But you want what he got. You want what I got. I want you to know today that the altar is open. And you could come and receive what Mephibosheth got. And on April twenty fourth, 1992, I got a new life. I got a new outlook on life. I was made a new creature. I'm glad I didn't have to stay the way that I was. And God can make you new today. The altars are full, Brother David.